Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, the Unity Project podcast is one about the relationships that we have with our bodies. Before I get started, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to those who are sticking with me through this process. My goodness, life has been really, really just all over the place for everybody, and It's led to me not having as much, I guess, mental and emotional space to be able to post these interviews as often as I'd like to. And I'm hoping that will change because just getting to do this one and getting to chat with people online about future interviews is really encouraging. And it's something that's super important to me, especially because just this conversation is so important to me. So thank you for sticking with me and for listening. Gosh, the world is a really scary place right now, so... Let's just be together in that. It's hard and there's not a lot of words. Really, there are no words to do it justice. And gosh, I don't know. I just hope that I hope that we are all feeling as warm and as safe as we possibly can right now, whatever that looks like for you. So, yeah. Anyway, today I had the honor of interviewing an incredible woman named Lily Seiss. Lily is a former lead school psychologist, now a full-time mental health practitioner. She's very passionate about helping people reconnect to their natural peace of mind, resiliency, and well-being through sharing the principles of mind, thought, and consciousness. This was such a cool interview for me because I found so many connections with Lily when she, I mean, you'll find out if you listen to the podcast where she talks a lot about anxiety and what it's like to have anxiety as a kid with things like health, like worrying if you're sick or worrying if your parents are okay. And like a lot of things that I think a lot of kids deal with, but don't really have the language for, or at least I didn't. Uh, We talk about that. And then she talks through how that led into orthorexia, which I also have a bit of a history with. And so it was really helpful to get to talk with Lily and just unpack. And I hope that you enjoy. Sice, how is it going over there in Los Angeles? It's wonderful. It's a beautiful day, as it often is here, and it's Friday, so I'm 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 in a good place. There you go. That's two very good reasons to have a good day. I was telling you earlier how I used to live in LA, and sometimes I miss it so much. And today is one of those days because I'm in St. Louis, and it is freezing. Like, I didn't even know it could get. And so (laughs) I'm not thrilled about this. So I'm happy that you're out there enjoying the sun. Yeah, so for those listening, I came across Lily on Instagram actually through my partner who found her and was really excited because she thought she would be, have a lot of really great things to say for my for my podcast and I did some research and could not agree more. So Lily, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. I love being on yeah. podcasts. Absolutely. Do you do you want to give um, a little brief introduction just about kind of who you are and what you do? I am a mom, and I used to be a school psychologist. I was a practicing school psychologist for 12 years, and I just transitioned this year to doing um, coaching full-time. I guess my specialty is in anxiety um, but really in helping people reconnect to their innate well-being and their mental well-being. And a passion of mine is also talking about orthorexia, um, disordered eating, because that was something that I really struggled with. And then especially that was really tied to um, health anxiety for me. And so I, I guess my focus is on on sharing things that made me feel really weird and really alone. And when I started sharing it on social media, people were like, oh my gosh, me too. And you put that into words. And that's a huge passion of mine on letting people know how human they are and how universal this experience can be and how, how innately healthy they are. 
Oh, wow. That is super, super relatable when it comes to just getting that response back of like, oh my gosh, me too. I didn't know anyone else felt that way. That is such an encouragement, especially at the beginning of your journey, kind of like speaking out about things that are honestly can be scary to talk about publicly, let alone on the internet. So I'm really happy you had that response and I'm so happy that you've done what you've done with it. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's been very rewarding for me. You know, the messages I'll get from people saying, oh my gosh, you know, or I, I noticed this in myself and to give them hope too. I think it's, we can tell these stories about ourselves. Like no one is as broken as me. And, and I think the more I kind of overshare, people are like, oh, you were there and now you you're feeling good and you're healthy. Oh yeah. Lily, to start off, uh, will you describe the relationship that you have with your body? Well, it is so different today at 40 than it was <laughs> at, um, you know, I don't know, definitely teens and twenties and thirties, but, um, thirties, it started getting better. But the relationship that I have with my body today, it's just one of love and respect. I'm just, I think my body is beautiful and strong and resilient. Um, and I guess I also hold it with a loose gaze in a way. You know, I think my body allows me to move through this world and do what I want to do. But I, I, I just don't really look at it with a critical eye anymore that I used to. I, I just don't see like, oh, here's the flaws or how to fix it. So I guess it's just kind of, I care less about my body in a way. Um, and especially in like my looks, which there are some of that, um, just speaking honestly. But I see like limitless potential <laughs> too, you know, of having health things and then recovering. I'm just kind of in awe of how cool my body is and all bodies are. That's really, really cool. You, you say that it's changed a lot since your, your teens and your 20s. How would you say, or I guess a better way of asking would be like, when did you feel the most disconnected to your body where you really like noticed it? When I went, I went to camp, I think it was the summer of like seventh or eighth grade. And um, somebody's, I went with a few of my friends and one of their somebody in their family had something like this giant container of Tootsie Rolls. And so we would just eat Tootsie Rolls. And then there was also like cookies that were put up. And this was the first time that I remember growing out of my pants, not just growing taller um, and being like, oh my gosh. And it was also around the time that I started getting my period. And it's now I know how normal it is for girls or people that get their period to gain weight and you know grow out of their clothing in a way that they hadn't before but I just uh I was so horrified um in a way I don't even know if that's the right word but yeah I just really felt disconnected from my body and I started restricting and so I don't know if it was in that wasn't at its worst um but it was probably around 18 and 19 when I was a freshman and then just beginning sophomore year in college I was struggling with bulimia and also like in a sorority and I would just drink a lot too. Um, and I didn't, I knew it didn't feel good for me, but going to frat parties, I just like couldn't help. But then I just like get drunk and I just feel sick and just throw up and over exercise and hook up with guys that I didn't want to, but I felt like this such sense of self hatred and like I wasn't enough. And it was so momentarily comforting to, to feel like, oh, somebody wanted me and somebody likes me, but I would do things that I didn't want to do because it seemed easier to, like, I mean, I don't, I think I don't want to like share too much, but I think it was betraying my body with food and exercise and then just sex that I didn't want to do. Um, and, and just really feeling just out of touch with my body um, during those times. So I think that was the, my, the toughest time. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. The way you, you talk about it with betraying your body with food and exercise and sex that you didn't want. Uh, I was in treatment, um, a couple years ago. Wow. Time's weird. Almost two years ago. Um, and, uh, 
we talked a lot about, well, I guess that was kind of the start of the podcast, which was like our relationships that we have with our bodies. And we had to write a letter to our, to ourself from our, or to our body from ourself. And one of the biggest things that I noticed and realized during all that was, uh, that idea of betraying my body and like kind of knowing that, Hey, this hurts me, but I'm going to do it anyway. And just that continuous cycle of, I guess, in a way, like of abusing myself. And so that sounds really, really real. And it it's really hard because in those moments, it like, it feels like it's going to help. It feels like going to like more frat parties or over exercising. Like it, it feels like it numbs it for a minute, but it just like, breeds that disconnection and it's so hard once you're in that were you like very aware of your body around that time like 18 19 like did you kind of know you were trying to ignore things that you were feeling I think so but I think I was also really caught up in thinking that it was you know, really was body focused too on thinking that I was bigger than I should be. And I was going to be unlovable and I was unacceptable, but I know that that, that's also surface level too of, well, the, the being lovable and, and acceptable, but it would go beyond. But a lot of it was, you know, being 18 and 19 and really placing so much importance on the size of my body. Um, and but I, I think there were larger things of not really seeing what a wonderful human being I was and how smart I was and how deserving of love I was. And I see it now in what we were just talking about of evidence of my mental well-being and my I was doing the best I could, as I'm sure you were and everybody that's listening. Everything we were doing was the best we knew how with the thinking that we had at the time. And so those things that like, like over-exercising or... Um, drinking or restricting or throwing up was me loving myself the best I knew how, you know, um, sometimes those things that seem like self-sabotage are us just doing the best we can, you know? Um, but I, then I would just add on like more shame and more self-loathing and more judgment and more criticism. Um, but I, I don't know if I had much awareness at that time but I did later that 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 though that tough time led me to therapy and to treatment and to really coming into a much better place with food in my body and my mental well-being and then I had my relapse into orthorexia but um that that did catapult me into a a, a better place yeah yeah, like you said earlier, orthorexia is really sneaky. <laughs> really, really sneaky. Um, t- tell me about what it was like when you were when you were little. Like, where where do you think you got messages about your body needing to be smaller or you being unlovable if you outgrew your genes when you were just a kid? Like, what did that all look like? Well, I think it possibly might have been growing up in Los Angeles. <laughs> you know, hearing some messages such as people going on summer diets or, oh, I really got to work this, these pancakes off. Um, and um, I think growing up, in, my parents are amazing and they are healthy and they um, more have a tendency to be thin and fit. Um, and so they are, I'm not blaming them at all, but... Um, you know, seeing what I interpreted of them placing a value on being thin and fit. Um, and, oh, that's how you're lovable. And so it wasn't just them. I think it's just also what I saw on TV. You know, I'm 40 now, so I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Um, and, you know, Seventeen magazine and and the videos and then my own conclusions that I drew. You know, I, I don't know exactly where some of that came from, but... No, I remember when I was like little, like at five, my friend weighed 50 pounds and I weighed, I don't know, 52. Hopefully it's fine to talk about weight since it's little, little kid weight. Oh yeah, that's okay. (laughs) And being like, oh, for Christmas, I wish I could be 50 pounds, you know, and I didn't, thank goodness, didn't really do anything about it at, at that young. 
but it was like I would see my parents had a their friend over and their daughter was in a wheelchair and she was so so thin you could see her ribs and I remember being having this thought if I was as thin as her nobody could find fault with me like you couldn't help like that if there was fat on my body I was somehow more noticeable or or more just I could be a target um and um so I guess those, those, <laughs> I, I focused on that and it also maybe seemed like something in my control that was, oh, well, if my body looked like this, how could mm-hmm. people not like me or love me? Or at least if I was small, the one less thing for people to, to criticize me about, even though I didn't really have any criticism, but, um, yeah, that makes sense. That's so sad that even at five, you said you were five years old. Yeah, that was, it is. I remember right. Like, you know, thinking that for Christmas of, which is sad, oh, but I didn't yeah. really start uh, any kind of disordered eating until I was like 11 or 12. So, yeah. But even just having that thought when you're that young, it's like, oh my gosh, the, I think the earliest I remember having thoughts around body and stuff, I think it was when I was in like fourth or fifth grade. And I always try and think back to it. And I always try and remember like, why was that on my radar? Because it, because when we're that little, like, I mean, at least for me, it wasn't like this. I have to be small. So boys will like me or something. It was like, I'm trying to like remember how to get into my like eight or nine year old brain about what was going on because it's just it's just so sad that that's such a thing and I hear so many people talk about that from when they were kids and it just breaks my heart because it makes me wonder like what is happening in the world of five-year-olds or six or seven-year-olds that is making size that like important in their head well one thing i do think it's they're doing a better job now but in movies and in books it's always like the person in a larger body is the person that's the target that's made fun of that's gross you know oh yeah Um, and so i think there is something about that where it's it's people in larger bodies are are kind of the butt of the joke you know and so i think Mm -hmm. even in in children's books or in children's movies you know i'm making me think of even matilda like the boy that's in a larger body needs cake and that headmaster's so mean to him and it's i think to me i was so sensitive to like i I didn't want any rejection or finger pointing and i'm tall i'm five nine and i uh, always felt like I had this story that I was taller and bigger and it was like I don't I don't want to be pointed out and like if I could just shrink away um but I, I cut you off to I apologize oh no you're good that Matilda reference I was talking about that kind of recently to my partner I'm happy you brought that up that's definitely one that stuck out to me as a kid as well um But I was just going to say, I was looking into your YouTube channel, actually, and I was coming across some videos. You talked a lot about anxiety as a kid, Uh, just being really anxious when you were little about like uh, health things or your parents dying. I think you said you like went in the closet and smelled their clothes because you were so anxious. What was that about? Just because I know anxiety is like a huge, huge factor behind my eating disorder. I just feel like I'm afraid all the time when I'm in like a bad headspace. I just feel really scared and that shows itself as anxiety and then that shows itself as like food problems. Um, what did, what do you think that looked like for you when you were little? Well, I did. The world seemed a lot scarier than I think it is. Um, So for me, if I heard stuff on the news, I really thought, oh, if something was possible, it was probable. So the fact that parents could abandon their children and parents could die in a car crash, you know, kind of going back to other movies, the movie The Witches, where the parents go out to dinner and they die in a car crash was so scary. And so my little brain of not knowing, you know, they're of this being in an uncertain world, which is, is scary for, for brains. <laughs> um, you know, I could guarantee me my parents aren't going to die. Um, and so when they would go to dinner, I was like, oh, well, if it's, isn't it safer if we all just stay home more and like close the doors and lock the windows. And my parents oh. are so wonderful. They have an amazing relationship and they're very carefree. So they would love to leave like the windows and the doors open as, as I like to do now here. And I, you know, as an adult, but it seemed scary. I was like, people are just going to come in and rob us and you're going to die when you go out. 
Um, so I think some of my anxiety when I was little was, you know, hearing stuff on the news or in movies and thinking it was much more likely to happen. Um, and then I would feel it strongly. And I thought that, you know, because my stomach would hurt and my heart would hurt, this was kind of like agreement that like, oh, that this, this is re this really could happen. And I just, I didn't know that just because I felt something strongly didn't mean that it was true. Um, and I, I think mm -hmm. I just didn't know, you know, what I, I know now, I don't think it it's kind of talked about, about how our thoughts work and our feelings work and, um, and things that brains do and they worry. Um, and, you know, kind of going back to those core things of like, what if I'm alone? <laughs> you know, whether it's my parents die or people don't love me or I'm rejected. And, you know, I didn't, wasn't aware of that when I was a little girl, but like, let me be safe and let the people I love stay alive and let me be loved and alive. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And it's, it's interesting to think about back then and like the eighties and the nineties, cause all of this, at least from my perspective and understanding, it seems like a lot of this information that we do have now over mental health stuff is pretty newish or it's at least like newish being normalized and talked about a lot to the point where I don't think I even knew what anxiety was when I was a kid and I'm like trying to imagine at least knowing language for it and how different that would have made it. Yeah, did, did your parents talk to you about that or do you remember hearing anything about mental health growing up like anxiety nervousness stuff um I don't know I mean I kind of knew that it was kind of like oh I was an anxious child um which and I don't know where I kind of got that but I guess I knew that maybe teachers had said it or it was just kind of something like that but it wasn't in a very helpful way you know which I also think that's you know, a larger thing of, to me, how, like, general psychology has it backwards in terms of talking about mental health. Um, you know, there's not, there's, I don't think, enough discussion on the health part, the mental health part. I think there is a kind of a discussion on the mental illness part. But when I was growing up, um, no, there wasn't, but not, not, not that it was anybody's fault, but um, yeah. I, I think, you know, actually being a mom and have being a school psychologist, I, I think now there is a lot more, um, social emotional support, at least here in, in Los Angeles, in the schools where from, you know, kindergarten on, or even in, in preschool are there, you know, my kids are now taught about how to do some calming down breath and then and there is a, a like that social emotional component which I don't think there was you know 30 years ago where it was uh -huh. it's in the general classrooms where it's not just oh you're going to go see the school psychologist or the school counselor it's like oh the social emotional support um is good for all about learning about our emotions and our feelings and our thoughts and um I so I think they're doing a, a much better job um, and I, I hope it's everywhere in the world. Um, I know that there are certain things all over the world, you know, helping kids understand how we work as human beings. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What, what's that like being a school psychologist? Like, what do you kind of have the role? The, the only thing I can think of in my schools growing up was just the, the school counselor who you'd talk to, uh, if there was a big conflict in school or something, or like what college you were going to go apply to. What does that look like for you today? Yeah, well, um, part of my job was doing an educational diagnosis. So if somebody was struggling and not able to access their education, we do do a team and to see what, if they needed special ed education support. Um, and then it also involved counseling, you know, so... Um, daily counseling with students individually and in groups. And then I did crisis work and then a lot of kind of background work of working with the staff um, and, and everybody to kind of support the school in general. And sometimes we'd have just emergency or, or drop in students, but um, it was great. But it was actually funny as you were talking, when I went to my middle and high school, we did have a school counselor there. And I remember talking to her about friendship problems. And I was like, ooh, this is what I want to do. Because she had a couch in her room. 
and you could go in and talk to her and it didn't have to be a crisis and her name was Leslie and I loved her and I in my middle and high school we did have more social emotional support we had this thing called like life skills and we'd sit in a circle and talk and I loved that and so when I was a school psychologist it's called counsel we just called it life skills at my school but and it was just sharing stories and sitting in a circle and connecting and and I loved that as a child and also as a, a school psychologist um so I do think there's a lot um looking back I'm like oh there were things that I that I did learn um and I love that's what I've always loved is like connecting uh you know on the same level which I loved about the circle because we'd sit down on the floor and we were all on the same level it wasn't like oh teachers are above us at this time and and that's yeah. what I love is like just kind of what we're doing here even though we're just in our circle of two of we're just sharing stories oh absolutely I think that 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 changes everything when the teacher is at the same eye level as you versus feeling like you're um just under a supervision, kind of like a superiority thing, that definitely makes a huge difference in building a relationship with the kids and stuff. I love that. I love that you're doing this with your school. Or you say you're not doing it anymore, right? You did it for the past 12 years? This is my first year not doing it, although they just asked me, oh, maybe if I'd want to come back and just support the staff's mental health. But Oh, wow. Yeah, this is my first year not. I started off as it, but my practice um, doing coaching has just really really took off and I really feel like that's where my heart is pulling me um so I, I stepped down for now from being a school psychologist okay that's very cool I am really excited to hear more about your coaching stuff but I want to ask you first um you said you started therapy and started kind of looking inward around all this when you were like nineteen twenty. is that what you said yeah yes Okay, what what did that look like? How what kind of pushed you to do that, and what did that process entail for you? Well, when I was in college, I was in my my sophomore year, just the start, and that was just when I felt really like I wasn't in a good place. And I came home, and um, just maybe in September or October or something, very early on, and I talked to my mom, and I went back to my pediatrician actually, and then they decided that. Um, I would go to treatment. I was, um, I was like, I, you know, with just like how I was drinking and really just like exercising and throwing up and everything. So I went somewhere. Um, I didn't end up actually having an issue with, with alcohol, but it was, so then there I, I got treatment and there was like group therapy and individual therapy. And then when I left, I, I continued on doing group and individual therapy and I loved it. I loved the group. And I loved, I had a therapist named Beverly and I felt like I could tell her anything and she would not make a big deal of it and she wouldn't judge me. And she, I was this unconditional positive regard. You know, I really, uh, and so I, I loved it. I think my, the experience that I had with Leslie at, um, at school being she, when she was the school counselor and then Beverly as a therapist, they were, they changed my life. I mean, that's why I think I have the career or not think that's why I know I have the career that I wanted because I really wanted to be that person that just somebody could come to and I would just accept them unconditionally and love them and point them back to them themselves and, um, to just be that space for somebody else because it was really, it was so healing for me and it was allowed me to start to love myself and to accept myself because I felt like, Oh, there, this woman that, you know, loved me and accepted me in, in every, you know, I, I really felt like I couldn't say anything and she wouldn't, you know, even if it was something horrible that I did by accident, I, I just had this knowing that she'd be like, okay, here's what we'll do. <laughs> mm. Oh, that's so good. That changes everything. I have, a uh, therapist right now that I've been working with for the past uh, going on three years, I think, and it has just that exact thing, just being able to show up and trust her so much that you can say literally anything that you're thinking and just building that relationship and knowing that like there's nothing you could say that's going to make her or make make her want you to leave or stop working with you or yada yada it kind of just gets down to like untangle those fears about oh but if they know this part about me they won't like me or this part or I have to like kind of like perform to an extent always at least that's how I felt but therapy when you find a good therapist that changes everything yeah 
That's really cool. I, I was um, looking at your stuff and you said you tried a lot of different types of therapy, like uh, neurofeedback, acupuncture, somatic processing. Um, do you have, out of the, the different versions that you tried, do you have one that you kind of wanted to stick with or one that was like your favorite that you felt was really helpful for you? So, and that's what I base all of my coaching on because there's, I'm sure all of those, the therapy that I tried was great and had its place, but in the specifically for me, in terms of anxiety, some things that I tried before would work, but they weren't long-term. Um, and when I found the three principles, which as they're described by Sidney Banks, who was a Scottish mystic and he had a, pretty much like an enlightened experience in the seventies and he went on to share it. Um, and it's really just how we work as human beings. Just the three principles are in action, whether we know about them or not. Um, and that approach, and when I found the three principles community, I stopped trying so hard. I stopped looking outward and following other people's morning routines or other people's ways to love themselves or to eat or to move or to to feel peaceful. And it really led me back home to myself. And I, it not only transformed, you know, I was having panic attacks and driving anxiety and it was really hard for me to get to work as a school psychologist sometimes. I would have a panic attack um, and and that's what led me to now my friend and my colleague and I we worked together Sari Taylor and she had this like seven day anxiety course and I watched her videos and I just started having insights I stopped trying so hard and I realized that my that I had this inner wisdom that got me through every panic attack so maybe I didn't need to plan and try so hard and I started just having these insights that changed my life and finally I feel like I, I got to settle down and stop trying so hard. And so that's, I've never looked for anything else. I mean, there might've been times I'm like, oh, maybe I need a breathwork thing or I need this, but the three principles just changed my life. And so I, I started sharing that as a school psychologist. There's a spark curriculum for, for kids and I did that and I started sharing it just a little bit. And I always wanted to share it more with adults, especially because I felt really broken with anxiety and with panic because I would try things and I would think, well, this isn't, it's, it, you know, it stopped working for me. What did I, what am I doing wrong? And then when I found yeah. the three principles, it was just this level of freedom and ease that I never have experienced. Um, and so that's, that's it for me. <laughs> that's what I, and then I, that's, that's what I base my coaching on. Um, and, and it not only transformed my anxiety and my panic, but it's really what gave me the deepest level of freedom with food and just loving my body and my relationships. Um, just everything. I feel like my teeth are healthier, like overall. And I tried a lot of stuff that was helpful for me that, you know, and specifically in terms of eating and body, but this was just next level, you know, the mm -hmm. ease that I have, um, that's carried me through you know, health diagnoses and a pandemic. It was just like, it's, it's kind of the, how solid I feel in my mental well-being is untouchable, you know, because yeah. of the, because of the understanding that I have of the three principles. So that's my favorite thing. <laughs> that's very cool. What I might've missed it, but what, what are the three principles? What is that? They are thought, mind, and consciousness. And it, the, the Sydney Banks always says like, it's, the words, you know, the the healing and the magic isn't in the words. So it's like the words can't, trying to explain them is, is kind of odd, but about thought, it's a lot of it is that thought is neutral. It is this, it is truly a gift. You know, the thought of what am I going to have coffee or tea? Or what if I killed my dog? You know, people are like, oh my gosh, you know, we, but they're just neutral thoughts. They just come and go. You know, thought is truly a gift. And another thing is that it's transient. We have a thought, and when there, you know, we're not resisting it or placing too much meaning, the thought of, okay, what if I killed my dog comes and it goes, you know, because you know it doesn't mean anything. It just popped in your head for whatever reason, and um, and it's a gift because, well, the principles all work in conjunction. It's hard to kind of separate them out because you have a thought, and then it's brought to life by your consciousness. You really like picture it. It kind of comes into you know, like a 3D image and you feel it and, and it, you bring it to life. And so it's like, it's such a gift, but sometimes we can use it against ourselves when we might have a thought, I'm disgusting mm -hmm. and I'm unlovable. 
And then your brain adds on these things and we really bring it to life of just picturing ourselves, you know, being rejected or being alone or dying this way or, um, um, and there's a lot. I know that <laughs> we could probably spend hours and I do spend hours talking about it. Um, and then there's mind, which isn't our mind, like our brain, the brain and the mind are different. A lot of times um, how it's discussed is universal mind, which is more the wisdom that's created planets and allows people to grow babies and bones to heal. And that we have this wisdom inside of us that we have brains because that's really cool, <laughs> but our brains are so <laughs> limited compared to how expansive our wisdom is. And, and so when I learned that, like I'm going to, I have a brain and it's going to have a bunch of thoughts and it might worry or it does worry and dramatize. But if I let that go, you know, I just kind of, I don't, I don't follow or give the thoughts that don't feel good too much energy. Then what's left is my wisdom, you know, and that you just can't go wrong if you, if you let your wisdom kind of come through, you know, that's, what's going to, it's also wisdom is available at the precise moment we need it. You know, our brain is like, let's plan. How are you going to handle this? And through this conversation, I realized, oh, I don't even need to plan because I have this greater intelligence that's available to me at the precise moment I need it. Um, mm. And we all do, every human being. Like, you don't, the principles are in action. Um, and my friend Brian shared this story. Um, somebody that he knew was on a hike and there were these two young men, maybe like 18 or 19, and they were walking in front of him. And this one's like, you know what? This is a dog eat dog world. You have to look out for number one, you know, and as he's saying this, there was an older woman who was walking towards them. And right as she got close, she stumbled. Um, and the guy who's saying, you have to look out for number one. He instinctively reached out his hands and caught this woman. Um, and, and that's our wisdom. That's this universal mind that it's just this crazy love that even though his thoughts were saying something different, like he's just, he didn't plan that. He didn't think about that, you know, just yeah. how to help his fellow human being. Um, and, and there's so many instances when we, when we get quiet that we see, Oh my God, I handled that panic attack so well, or even if we didn't think it was so well, I made it through that. You know, that we've made it through all of our tough moments. I mean, those are, that's the, almost the three principles in action too. It's like, here's your thought and he's thinking this, but underneath that is that wisdom that you can't even dim, <laughs> um, you know, where he didn't have to think, he just reached out. Um, so there's yeah. a lot of those instances when we, when we realize, oh, life has my back a lot more than I think, <laughs> you know, life gets handled for me. Um, but with anxiety, it can be a lot about like, <gasps> our brain, make sure I'm safe. And what am I going to do in this? You know, and, and so with the three principles, it was actually really letting my thoughts go and allowing something deeper to come up. And, and, and it knowing that I'm in, I have the answers just as you have your own answers. Um, and so it's, it's a lot of it is getting quiet and looking within and waiting to see because our wisdom uh, you know, this is, this is the wisdom that creates planets and that grows babies and heals bones. Like, the, you know, whatever problems we have, it's no big deal for our wisdom. <laughs> it's like, I will, you know, but it, our brain can be challenged, you know, when we like think and think and think. It, it's so exciting because it's so hopeful. It points to the innate well-being in every human being, you know, that like diagnoses are not, they're just a description of where somebody is, not who they are, not how limitless their well-being is. That is such a beautiful explanation. I can't believe I've never heard of the three principles. I feel like I've I've probably heard different versions of it, but I don't think I've ever heard it described like that. It reminds me a lot of, uh, I mentioned it earlier, but Glennon's, um, how she talks about your knowing. For those listening, the knowing is kind of just like that little quiet voice inside you that if you don't know like you're in a crazy situation, you don't, you're feeling anxious and stressed. Glenn talks about how she like steps away and she goes in like, she puts her hand over her heart and she just checks in and listens for her knowing. And I think that that's so special. My, my therapist said something similar to me one time, which kind of changed things because I felt like I kept trying to get answers from her and kept trying to get like formulas of some kind of way or like kept wanting her to just fix me like fix my brain tell me what's wrong and fix it and she told me one time that I have she and this was on like a horrible day for me so I did not 
take this in a very good way. I was like, no, I don't. But she, she told me, she says, you have everything you need. I'm just trying to help you find it in you. She's like, you have the answers. I don't have the answers. I'm just like helping you find tools to find the answers for yourself because you already know. And it, I, like I said, did not take it well at the time because I was like, I am a puddle on the floor. Don't tell me I'm the one with the answers here. But it's just, it's so uh, encouraging to hear something like that and to really like sit on it and think about it and understand what it means. I love that. Yeah, I love that she said that because that's that, that's the truth. That's this universal truth. But and your experience is really valid. It's like when we're in lower moods or our consciousness is lower, it doesn't seem like that. You know, it, it, it's like, wait, but then it seems like because you would say, OK, on that day when you were a puddle on the floor, it's like, I know this doesn't resonate with me. But then you feel better and you're like, oh, yes, I do have everything I need. And that yeah. it's part of the human experience, you know, and I've been in the conversation of the three principles for five years now. And so I still I'm a human being. I have my ups and downs, but my because my level of mental well-being is higher when I'm in that low mood, a puddle on the floor, I just know, all right, my thinking is not going to be true right now. You know, so it's just kind of like hands off. Um, but before I really took it seriously, you know, and now I just know, oh, I'm just going to wait a minute <laughs> or wait a little, yeah. come up and, um, and, and it's using our feelings as guidance. Cause when we feel bad, that just lets us know our thinking is off, you know, and there's nothing to do, you know, it's like, we can't think our way out of that my mentor says you can't think your way out of a self-contaminated thought system <laughs> love and well-being and that knowing that's our default we all have it you know and that's I say the same thing exactly that your therapist said and I feel like any great therapist or coach or person is going to point you back within because when you get quiet then you ha you do have that knowing because there's nothing that we need to do like quote unquote but when you get quiet it you you know sometimes it is I haven't been outside or I haven't seen anybody or I've been seeing too many people, you know, and then you're, you're kind of guided to exactly what you need. Oh, I really mm -hmm. do want a shower or a journal or yoga or I'm just going to lie here or. But I think when we kind of follow other people's thing, which I totally get when you're like, tell me what to do, because sometimes I say that like what, yeah. you know, you do want somebody. Um, I love she sounds like a great therapist. Oh, yeah, she's the best. If you're ever randomly in Nashville, drop by a farm and hopefully she's there. <laughs> she does equine therapy. And so it's like her and a bunch of horses and just a very good time. But oh, wow. yeah, yeah, I love that because it's like you're not looking for, I mean, like you said, like those other types of therapies can be extremely helpful, like uh, mindful meditations and acupuncture and somatic like all that all that stuff is great but I love that you settled into one that really is just coming back to you like you said like coming home to yourself like that's so much about what I focus my work on and the conversations I try to have like that is such an important piece of it that's like honestly like at the center of it all is like you are not broken and you have everything you need and to just not to just listen to your voice and like recognize your voice in your head and it's hard and scary and messy and clumsy but it's really like the best advice you can have yes yeah and then it, and then you're almost just like unbreakable because you know oh I'm not broken and anything can happen and you it doesn't mean that you might not be sad or get caught up in your thoughts or anything but you just know how wonderful you are as a human being that you are designed perfectly every one of us are and I think I, what I love about the three principles is we talk about this universal experience you know where we're all designed the same way like yeah some people obviously we all are unique but we all you know the discomfort that we feel it's feedback it's letting us know when we're innocently misusing the gift of thought when we just have too much noise in our head <laughs> um and then when we get quiet we settle down what comes up to us is going to be exactly what we need you know and it, it's just it's really 
it's universal. And I realized when I saw, oh, I work the same as other people. <laughs> you know, we all get caught up in our thoughts. We can all innocently use them against us and suffer as a result. And, and it doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to find something. I'm going to stop being human because I still get, I'll still take on too much stuff. And then I get feedback, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, and I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Feedback received. <laughs> um, yeah. but I think I stopped thinking if I ate the right way and I slept the right way and I exercised the right way and I found the right therapy, like I would somehow not be a human being. Like I would always be in a good mood and I would always feel perfect. <laughs> I became more okay with like the normal ups and downs. And now it's not as up and down as it used to be. Like I'm much, you know, and if I'm down, I'm like, Oh, but, um, I stopped really like analyzing or searching or trying so hard and more just like being, um, cause I know a lot of my mentors have said that you can't be thinking about your life and be happy. It's like when you're just in your life, this natural happiness just kind of bobs to the surface. And it's when we're present and we're with somebody without too much on our mind, we feel connected and we feel, and it's just like, Oh, being in your life. And I know I'm a human being and I'm, I have a brain and so I can get too much in my thoughts sometimes. And then I feel it in the form of like not feeling so great. I'm like, Oh, let me get back into my life a little bit more, but it doesn't have to be a huge deal. Like I'm broken and what's wrong with me. And this is because I'm an anxious person and I have OCD. I'm like, Oh no, I'm just a human. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. I loved that. What you just said, your therapist said, I'm going to go replay that when I'm editing later and (laughs) say that in like the caption or something. When I post this, that was really good. Um, yeah, talk to me, talk to me more about orthorexia and kind of how that played a part in, I want to say self-medicating, which it's not really in a version of it, just like how, how that was helpful for you before finding this new, like, realization of the three principles. Like, I know you talked about taking a lot of supplements and stuff like that. Yes. Well, um, I had a great relationship with food in my body and I got pregnant and had a daughter and loved her so much, still do, obviously. Found CrossFit and was very hesitant on uh, trying out any of their eating things that they mentioned because of my past with eating disorders, but I got lulled in <laughs> and I'm like, fine, what is this paleo thing you're talking about? Um, and this giant mural on the foods to eat that was on the wall and I read a paleo book and it was pointing to the cause of chronic illness and mental and physical illness was the Western diet. And I was like, Oh, this makes so much sense. Um, and it was like this idea that if you avoided certain toxins and grains and legumes and, and it was more than just food. It was like how you sleep in the environment and how wrong we've gone now, like modern humans. And I'm like, Oh, so for me, but also for my daughter, like if I, and I felt like this blank slate, like I could raise her perfectly so she wouldn't have physical and mental illness. And um. so I had a tendency towards obsession. I was like, I, you know, will I can do a very deep dive, which I think I've done with the three principles to my benefit. But sometimes I do actually, even with that, I'm like, no more listening. But I read every book I could get my hands on. I listened to every single podcast. And then I would, you know, just completely cut out foods and alter my diet. And my husband at the time was so sweet and would do it with me. But then I would just biohack more of supplements and therapy. And like, it wasn't just paleo. It was like, actually, am I going to be keto or am I going to follow this person's thing with more protein? And I'm going to eat 25 grams of protein. And what I'm sure there are some people that can do it and be fine, but it's really was hard for me to also be social because not everybody follows a paleo style of eating or is orthorexic thank goodness and so the social events whether it was for me but what really I think tripped me up even more was I didn't want my daughter to develop anorexia or an eating disorder but when there would be like pizza or cake I was like this is going to cause physical and mental illness for her you know from what I read but so I would just be like there were so many events you know especially when kids are like preschool and little grades there's always seems like there's social events and it just really like I would like the danger alarm would go off in me when there was like mac and cheese and this of just like she's 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 consuming toxins but I didn't want to fuck her up and bring her like 
paleo crackers and and so often I just also I didn't connect I would bring my own food and I wouldn't eat other things and just probably 12 hours a day was just spent obsessing so it was this chronic mental stress um and and I would I made again there's nothing wrong with it but I made all of my own beauty products all of my own cleaning products down to my laundry detergent my toothpaste my deodorant um you know that I would try to buy every single thing so organic the mattresses the clothing the beds you know taking wi-fi out of the home and i just felt like in that time it seemed like the world was against me and that like they were going to try to serve food in plastic and um so i just felt like i want to run away to the woods <laughs> um and i um. and uh and i lost my period um for three years and in that time i would really try everything to get it back like okay well i'm gonna do this healthy baby code and i'm gonna eat raw dairy full fat and fish eggs and liver and really try to eat all the most nutrient dense stuff i also really cared about the environment which i still do but i was like i'm going to be zero waste so i would only shop at the farmers markets and bring my own if i did go to whole foods i would bring my own containers for meats and nuts and fish and um and then i but i also wanted to like part of me was like, I, this is so hard. I want to be easy and I want to connect, but it wasn't easy. Like I, I wouldn't want to. So this was, it was, <laughs> this is, could be a long story, but, um, after then still not getting my period back after three years, I, I would try like Western and Eastern. And I would just like, just felt like I could never do it perfect enough. Even though I would, I would very rarely eat out. Um, but I see now that it was just the chronic stress of it. Cause I was, at my weight or maybe even five or 10 pounds heavier than I am now. So I was a very like quote unquote healthy weight. Cause I do think there's health at every size, but it wasn't that I was underweight that I didn't get my period. It was the chronic stress. Um, and my hormones were in the postmenopausal range. So at 32, um, and, and then I read, I just, this was when Googling was helpful. It wasn't really in an anxious way. It was in a curious way. And somebody started writing about their experience with hypothalamic amenorrhea of losing their period. And it was a bunch of women who weren't, you know, the typical like underweight people that lost their, it was like their, it was their stress um, from that this pressure. And I'm like, oh, this is it. And I had already kind of cut back on my CrossFit workouts, but I was like, I need to stop working out completely so my internal organs could heal. And I'm like, and I need to eat all food. And it was a slow thing to eat all food because at first I just tried to like get it from quinoa. And then I'm like, I need hands off everything. But I really embraced the, I think that was my wisdom that was like, because I called my CrossFit coach because I'd been going to CrossFit. It was like in our community, I just loved it. Nothing against CrossFit, but and I was like crying to him and he's like, why don't you keep coming back a little? I'm like, I need to just lie on the couch. I need to let my body heal. Um, and I did, and I ate all food. And I really, there was wonderful people that helped me on my journey podcast that I'd listened to and I would curate my Instagram feed. So it was like people my size and bigger. And I stopped any, like, uh, there was a lot on that, but I, I, I recovered and within a few months I got my period back and I had a baby who is now seven. <laughs> um, oh, wow. But the, I love that you did say it was like the, it was a self, it was a habit. It was out of love too. It was me doing the best I could and kind of going back to my original fears of a little girl of, I love my parents so much. I don't want them anything to happen to them. And now it was, I love my daughter. I love my family. I love myself so much. I don't want anything to happen. And maybe if we eat this way and we live so healthy, you know, our health can be more guaranteed, but I wasn't able to do that um, without having so much stressful thinking. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I'm, oh, I mean, it, <laughs> I never thought I would envy parents that would just like let their kids eat non-organic strawberries and like a Dorito. I would be like, I wish I didn't know everything I know now. And now I knew that, but I just doesn't, to me, health is so much more than food. Um, and my kids eat a variety of a diet, but we have all types of chips. Like I, I, you know, we have everything in here and I truly feel no stress and tension regarding what I eat or what my kids eat. I just, just really see it in the bigger picture. And I'm, it allows me so much more freedom and connection and presence than I ever had. I really felt like I was missing out because I was so worried about food and toxins. Oh my gosh. That, that is just so, that sounds so exhausting. 
of every day, like running through that stuff in your head. I, I can't even imagine having a daughter during that. Cause I mean, I, I don't have any kids, so I obviously didn't have kids when I was really, really in my orthorexia phase, but that's like, I feel like that's even scarier because there's this little being that you're responsible for. And so if you have these uh, fears in your head of the world being against you and like everything you're putting in your body or down to like your toothpaste. I have a friend who tried to do the no waste thing and oh my gosh, she told me how hard it was making her own toothpaste and she was like, I love the planet, but I just can't do it. She's like, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but yeah, that just, that's a lot. That's a lot to go through. I'm so happy that you were able to find, to just kind of come full circle kind of and find freedom on the other side of that and just lay on the couch if you needed to lay on the couch and have all the chips. That's something my, all the dietitians, well, I guess a therapist too, but mainly the dietitians at my treatment center, their slogan basically was like, all foods fit. If you want mac and cheese, eat mac and cheese. If you want Doritos, eat Doritos. And it was, it was terrifying because Mo it took forever to trust what they were saying. I like was like, no way, none of you are telling the truth. This is not backed by science. <laughs> um, but once it sinks in and you really start to understand the truth behind it, it's so liberating. Yeah. It, it really yeah. is. It's like, well, this woman I love, Dr. Amy Johnson, she says discomfort, it's, her words are like, it's a wake-up call and it's letting us know that we are so much freer than we think. And she said discomfort, it, you know, it comes and it screams when we don't listen, you know, but it's like, you are so much freer, you know, and I see that it's true. It's like, wow, you know, we inadvertently, very innocently overcomplicate things, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, because when it is, it's like when you truly, truly know all food fits and you're, it's not just a slogan. Yeah. I think people would be so surprised. And But I'm, I'm eight years into post kind of relapse of, the, of an eating disorder. Um, but I think people can be quick to, you know, even in that first few months or that first year, um, because when you, and I don't want people to be like, oh my God, I have to wait years, but it really does become effortless. And you just see it where there's the mac and cheese and there's the chips and there's the chocolate and there's the kale and there's the <laughs> quinoa. And you know, that it's like, oh, when we love ourselves and we allow all foods, we, we feed ourselves really well. We take really good care of ourselves. And also kind of in the scheme of a month or so, you know, it doesn't have to be like, how did I do this day? You know, you know, it yeah. all works out. We do it kind of comes in phases. I'm really in a vegetable phase. I'm loving fruit. I'm loving smoothies. I'm really just into protein bars and chips right now. Like it's, you know, it kind of can be a lighter about it and it becomes food can be no big deal. It can be easy. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so good hearing that. I've gone uh, since leaving treatment. It's been just a roller coaster of trying to make that just trying to just like take that freedom that you're talking about and on the days when it feels easier it's so fun because I just remember being a kid and only letting myself eat one oreo because I was scared and then I was like okay now no oreos because if I eat one I'm gonna want two oreos and that's not okay and just the other night I had like six oreos and it was a great time it just it's so freeing to be able to know that my body knows what I need. And if I start to listen to it and recognize its voice when I want an Oreo or when I want kale, like I'll know and my body's gonna know like I need that because of this or I need that because it tastes good. And right now I just wanna have something that tastes good. It sounds like the coolest thing in the world. Yes, and well, and it, it's 100% possible too. Because it is, it goes back to, oh, we're designed beautifully, you know, that, and also that we are more resilient, you know, than we are. Okay, sometimes we're like, oh, that was maybe more cookies than I really needed. Okay, no big deal. Like, move on, you know, it's like, then you move yeah. on. And you, you know, it's, I used to feel the same way. It's like, if I ate one cookie, I'm just ruined. Well, now forget it. And now it's just like, nothing can be ruined. Yeah. Um, food just almost seems fake in a way to me in this strange, which is not the right word, but it's like, I so 
I think because I, I break all these quote unquote rules, you know, where it's like, oh, I mean, I ate two dinners and I ate after dinner and I ate this and like none of it matters. Um, where before, and I know I also do experience thin privilege, you know, um, and I'm not saying, like, I really believe all bodies are beautiful. There is health at every size. And my experience, though, was like, if I ate two dinners or five Oreos or I ate past dinner, like something horrible was going to happen to my body. And now I'm like, I actually really have this set range where it doesn't actually matter. Um, and this is where I've gotten eight years into it. But I realize, oh, like, whatever my brain used to say, like, you can't, like, it all, it all works out. Um, and I guess I hesitate in saying that because there's so many, would it be a whole other podcast on all the weight stuff, you know? Um, yeah. So I know that what I experience is, is my experience and, and some of the thin privilege that I do experience. But, but there are so many people in, in bigger bodies um, that just spend such a wonderful message. And I know it's not even my place to talk about body positivity since that movement is for people or started for people in larger bodies, but that's, that's a whole tangent, but I go back to the freedom. Cause then it allows us just to focus on much more important things. Like what, you know, what you're doing with the unity project and just like shining our light in the world where we're not having to spend it our focused on the amount of food we're eating. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. Really, it has been so much fun getting to know you and learn from your story today. I just, I'm so happy that my partner found you on Instagram and that I got to talk to you. Yes, I know. I'm so happy. This was so lovely. Thank you for reaching out and having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have uh, one more question for you. Or actually, before I ask that, do you want to share with people um, how to find you online and like you it, what your business looks like and if they are interested in that? Yeah, great. On TikTok, I'm at Peace From Within. On Instagram, it's underscore Peace From Within. And then my website is peace from dash within.com. And if you go to social media, any, any, you know, TikTok or Instagram, you'll have my link and it will bring you to the other places. Um, and I offer small groups usually every month. My next one starts next Wednesday. So I don't know if this is going to be out, but it's focusing on helping people find freedom from intrusive thoughts. So usually my small groups will focus alternating on health, anxiety, and intrusive thoughts. And then I have a membership that I do with Sari Taylor, who is the woman that introduced me to the three principles five years ago. And that membership, it's we have weekly meetings. Um, and it's just, it's we show up for an hour and we answer questions and we point people back to their mental health. Then we have once a week is an anxiety clinic and we have guest experts on people that I've been talking about that are my mentors in the three principles community. And it's a wonderful place. Sari's in the UK and we have people that from all over the world. And so that's one way to work with me. It's that one's super affordable. Um, and then I always, I usually share a lot of free content. <laughs> I make videos and then on Instagram, I'll post a lot in my stories and I'll have people on live and I'll save it to IGTV. Um, yeah, and I focus, I do share a lot about orthorexia and eating and then anxiety, panic attacks, health anxiety, intrusive thoughts. Um, yeah, so those are the ways you can connect with me. Amazing, amazing. Well, I will put all of those links uh, in the description box below. And um, for what you said about going to your Instagram or something and all the links being there, I can confirm that is how I found all the stuff that I did. And there's so much good stuff. So go, go follow her on all of the things and check out, just check out her work. But my last question for you is the most important one of the whole entire day. And I am trying to think of exactly what it is. <laughs> um, Lily, would you rather have plants for your hair and it changes every day? Like some days you have palm tree or palm leaves on your head, some days you have grass, some days you have um, fern leaves and it's just you never know you wake up and you're like oh cool that's that's the style today um, and you don't really know why and people ask but you're kind of just like I don't know and it just kind of is an accepted thing and it's cool and it's fine um, or would you rather 
work for a herd. I don't know what it's called a herd. Work for a bunch of geese, whatever you would call a bunch of geese. <laughs> I don't know the right language for that. Ah. But would you rather work for a bunch of geese as their cashier at their local grocery store? They're all really sassy, but you get paid really well. And you have an experience that literally no one on the planet has or will ever have. Because I don't think geese go to the grocery store. But if there was one grocery store that they did, you would be the one to work there. And you'd have to deal with their attitudes, but you got to do it. Mm. Okay, I love that so much because I <laughs> want the geese for the experience, but I'm going to choose the plant hair because I think that would be a challenge to me to deal with attitudes every day, and it might dampen my mental well-being. And so I feel like I, I feel happier to imagine getting to surround myself with people in a better mood and my plant hair. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's amazing. So I'm like, that sounds really cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. I I usually see something. or I, You know, back when I started this podcast, I would think of these questions ahead of time. <laughs> but lately, it's kind of just been I see something and I roll with it. And I just saw a plant that we just got the other day from Home Depot and was like, that's the question. That's it. So I'm happy that you enjoyed it. Lily, thank you again so, so much. I will look for you and your plant hair next time I'm in Los Angeles. Um, truly, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very, very much for taking time to talk with me today. Oh, thank you, Jackie. Thank you for reaching out and having me on. Absolutely. Take care over there. Okay, thank you. You too. If you have enjoyed listening to the Unity Project podcast and you want to find out how to get more involved in what I am doing, then go follow me on Instagram if you haven't already. It's JackieG.TV. Uh, that's where I post all the things about this and other things that I'm working on, like my new book coming up. A lot of it is having to do with this podcast, so definitely stay tuned for that if you enjoyed this. But anything else you could be interested in is on the gram. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.